the pursuit of beauty. We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make it the show? Start the clock! And welcome, my friends, to another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's a Great day to have you here, and uh, I really appreciate you coming. Today, we're going to talk about beauty. Uh, yes, I know you look at me and you say, beauty, I must be on the wrong show, or there must be something wrong with my glasses. No, it's not about me. It's about the beauty industry, and a uh, guy who's written a book about it, he's, he's uh, lived his life on the front lines of the beauty industry, a uh, chemist and a uh, developer of fragrances and and such and uh spent his life in the beauty industry and has um a memoir out that uh details his life in the industry as well as uh some of the things he's had to overcome in his life to be uh where he is and be quite successful at it uh so uh that should be a very interesting program i hope you will stick around for it uh today's show is brought to you by fundwise capital you know about fundwise capital don't you a business lender matching platform uh that gets you uh the funding you need to start or grow your business now uh you can apply online in 60 seconds and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business and you did hear me correctly i did say start or grow your business if you don't have a business yet but you got a solid business plan i don't mean a whim an idea but a solid business plan with all your ducks in a row documented well documented with a business plan and a an accountant and a marketing director and all that kind of stuff they can help you get funding get the best funding you can qualify for their strategic lender match, matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best pos- possible option for your unique situation i wonder if they can provide me with some new lips um <laughs> they have hundreds of five-star reviews on google trustpilot and facebook and an a-plus rating with the better business bureau they provide unsecured lines of credit at zero percent interest for nine to 15 months unsecured term loans loans based on income short-term gap funding and bridge loans they work with real estate startups as i mentioned franchises restaurants any kind of business any kind of project to get started with them it's really simple you just go to apply.fundwise.com slash mind dog apply.fundwise.com slash mind dog link is in the description and i do appreciate you patronizing our sponsors and thank you very much for that As I mentioned, we're going to talk about beauty today. With more than 25 years of experience in the personal care, cosmetics, and fine fragrance industries, Vince Spinato, a cosmetic chemist certified nose executive and marketer, has become one of the uh, leading names in the refinement and development of new products and private label lines for beauty uh, brands and fine fragrances. He's written a new memoir. It's called My Pursuit of Beauty. Ladies and gentlemen, please open up your ears, open up your minds, and help me welcome in Vince Spinato to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Vince, welcome. Morning, man. How are you, buddy? I'm, I'm well. And you? Good. Pretty good. Thank you for having me. Uh, please clarify me. How do you become a certified nose? Because I think I got a good one. Yeah, the, the, the one you don't hear too often, right? right. Uh, long story short, it's kind of it's kind of in the category of almost being a sommelier for wine. You have to train your nose, you know, to be a perfumer and to get it certified to actually be able to develop, you know, fine fragrances, et cetera. So over the last twenty five years, it's been crafted and crafted over time. And you have to, it's literally just training your nose. And I 
identified and work with you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of essential oils and different you know notes uh, that you can do in fragrances and and like Sid, like Sid you know legs or the Rockettes legs back you know 50 years ago insured for a million dollars have my nose certified for a million dollars so it's a an insured nose which makes it certified. <laughs> <laughs> that's i thought it was you were just being humorous when i saw that in your bio and then i said you know what uh because i did uh, you know appearances may be uh, uh you know a book can be a, a you don't judge a book by a cover i've especially spent 10 years in the hair and beauty industry and i thought you know what it sounds like uh, it's just being humorous but I, I don't doubt that there really is uh, some somebody out there certifying noses to to right <laughs> um so what what goes into the uh, the idea of identifying a good fragrance or a bad fragrance i mean <laughs> what 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 is the uh criteria you're basing on just that whether you like it oh no it's never really i mean i have to of course have my opinion but it's not really i mean a good or a bad fragrances i mean those fragrances don't the don't do well, of course, sometimes when you get onto the market, but it really is based on the actual, uh, you know, the person you're doing it for. So, you know, in the past, I worked with, you know, Jennifer Lopez and Jessica Simpson and, you know, and Gwen Stefani, et cetera. So just give you some celebrity names and you have to really, you know, you have to build a fragrance around their, around their persona and what, and you know, what they like and what they don't like. So there's so many directions you can go in you know, with a fragrance, but you really got to get into the personality and, you know, are they whimsical? Are they dry humor? Are they, I mean, I mean, you can go on and on and kind of just, you know, go around with it, but then you build the profile of the top notes, the middle notes and the bottom notes of the fragrance around really the personality. Um, and it can come out great or not, but if it doesn't come out great, then we got to keep working on it. So it does come out great, of course. Right. Uh, so we started this uh, conversation off in a very funny place, but uh, I that that part of it just uh, struck me. Certified notes. So people are making, uh, I, I want to say, million dollars or more decisions based on on um, your take on the fragrance, or they uh, they don't just solely rely on just whether you like it or not, right? They kind of it's oh no, yeah, yeah. We always yeah we always do a tremendous amount of um, of testing before we go to market, you know, and, and I would say, you know, kind of clinical testing and also profile testing. So the fragrance will go out to multiple, you know, tests. I mean, sometimes hundreds and hundreds of test people to get their feedback and we get a, a yay, a no, I love it. I hate it. Change this, change that, you know, et cetera. And so we always have to be, we go through many, many revisions and tweaking until we have the right scent where the, the, the doctor, the celebrity, the retail, whoever it's going to be for agrees with it. And then also, but you know, the consumer has to like it as well. So we want to make sure we get feedback from the consumers. Right. So for for the benefit of the audience, because, um, you know, people who are not in the beauty industry and people who don't follow that, you might not be a household name to them. So give, give us a little bit of your background and how you got into that industry. Yeah, sure. So to, to, your, to your opening, I'm a cosmetic chemist primarily, which means I develop hair care, skin care, fragrances, baths and body products, even pedicure, manicure, baby products, pet products, et cetera. And we, we do everything from scratch. So we have a, a lab called Turnkey Beauty here in Capistrano Beach, California. And everyone comes to us from doctors, celebrities, retailers, or, or private brands. Um, and we work from you know from concept to launch, meaning that we develop everything from their concept and getting it all the way to the marketplace. So we go through the R&D formulation development work, the testing, and then all the like, you know, the, the graphics, the barcoding, you know, securing the packaging, global translation, the regulatory. So there's a tremendous amount of work goes into it. Um, so any any um, brand could take about 
12 to 18 to even 24 months to get the market. So it's a long, it's a long process um, and it's not short, but it, it's a very meticulous process to get there. Um, so yeah, is it primary, primarily fragrances? Because I think when people think of beauty, fragrance is not necessarily part of the, they think makeup, they think hair, they think clothes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I obviously, uh, fragrance is part of, uh, of the whole thing, but is that where, are, are you limited to fragrances or do you, um, Oh yeah, no, not at all. For fragrance, it's just kind of a small. It's actually a small part of the business that we that we that we do. So I, it's really primarily skincare, hair care, bath and body, uh, baby products, etc. So all, all categories we develop. So fragrance is just a small category of what we do. But but to your point, it's uh, all the other categories as well. Yeah, beauty is a confusing thing uh, for a guy like me who has very little of it, uh, if I have <laughs> any of it. But so. Uh, we're told that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's a subjective thing. But then when I was in the industry, the hair and beauty industry for many years, uh, but Dal Sassoon would always would talk about bone structure and how important that is and, and, and different things that make up beauty. Can, can you define what beauty is? Well, uh, yeah, beauty, I mean, comes from within, right? So we like, so we like to say, so we have to, you always want to you know, kind of start with that first. Uh, but, you know, when you work with beauty products, I mean, of course, your whole goal is to make people look and feel more beautiful, you know, on the outside. I can't do much about the inside, but we we, we really can develop products, and whether it's for hair or for skin. Um, and to Vidal's point, Vidal actually, for example, was one of my very first internships uh, back in the late 90s. I actually uh, worked with his wife, ex-wife at the time, Beverly Sassoon. What happened was they got a divorce, and Vidal kept ownership of his name and the, and the company, then the salons. And his uh, ex-wife Beverly at that point then took uh, took over the hair care line. So that was my very first job was working with her to actually revamp the Vidal Sassoon hair care line. And you know, and we had to, to your point, we had to, had to be done for all hair types, curly, you know, dry, uh, color treated, you know, straightening, so, uh, anti frizz, hydrating. So he had to really identify all the different categories to build the products around that. Right. So, um, but as you mentioned, beauty is. It, you can take somebody with perfect bone structure, perfect everything, and if they're ugly on the inside, people are going to notice that, right? It, it, uh, and, and so, um, but but the idea about achieving like beauty for somebody, it, it is subjective, right? So uh, somebody isn't born with perfect, uh, you know, they say the oval oval head shape, oval face shape is the, is the most desired. Somebody's not born with that. What can they do to kind of uh, try to... It, should they, first of all, try to emulate an oval face shape if they were born with a round face shape or a square face shape? And, um, you know, how do you, how do you go about moving towards more beautiful from where, you know, more beautiful from what's accepted, I guess, or, uh, expected from the, from the beauty industry? Right. Well, yeah. If you want to start, if you want to start changing your know, facial structure, then then, then you got to switch over to plastic surgery direction. That, yeah. Which I did plenty of myself. So I'm, I, so I'm, a, I'm an advocate of plastic surgery. If you want it, it's going to feel better about yourself. It's only, it's only so much you can do with with color cosmetics and you know and and skincare. But you know, but but there is you know very popular now for the last couple of years is, is very deep contouring, which which all the women and men will know that actually do it. You know, we can really actually kind of build a a fictitious you know, structure of the face with contour, contouring your skin with, you know, heavy makeup. And, and so you can make the illusion, 
you know, of, of changing your, your bone structure, but that's a, that's a daily thing you got to do. Unless you're going to have plastic surgery, that's a whole other story. Right. Well, uh, I'm not against plastic surgery, but I do think it can become obsessive and people can just take it too far. And I think it, it's an easy thing, an easy trap to fall into once you start going down that road. I just want a little, uh, you know, I want a nose job and just make my nose a little smaller, whatever. And before you know it, you're doing the Michael Jackson thing where you, you don't resemble anything of the person you were born into uh right. it, it, do you agree on that that it can become you can go too far with it i do and i'm, and I'm a perfect example i mean i i look the way i look but i i that's part that's part of what my book is about it's my genetic dysmorphic disorder and you know having um you know not feeling good about myself that's where it's kind of a double entendre of my title which is my called my pursuit of beauty which is the book it was not only you know finding the beauty in the beauty industry but also trying to find it within myself so i've had I mean, anywhere between, I can't, I don't, I can't even keep track, 15 to 18 and maybe to 20 surgeries over the last 25 years. And I pretty much look the same. So my friends always going to joke with me saying, hey, did a plastic surgeon kind of put you to sleep and just smack you around and wake you up? Because you look the same as you always did. So I, did, so I personally <laughs> have not had much luck with it. And I kind of look the same that I always had. So, it's, I, so I'm just not one of the lucky ones with the outcomes. That's interesting. Uh, um, so um, I, I don't even know where to go with that. So you go in and, and you, ha you ha ask for, uh, I don't know, whatever, some kind of procedure. You wake up and you look all pretty much the same. I, I literally have had six or seven no jobs over 25 years, and they look the same. If you look at my pictures when I was a teenager, it looked the same. So it's almost <laughs> like I've been punked. There's like some kind of twisted joke. So I just haven't had good luck with it. Um, so... Yeah, but I have a lot of people that went and they had beautiful luck with it. I just it wasn't for me. I just it's not it doesn't work for me. So I don't know if maybe my dead mother, my 100 percent my dead Italian mother is like, don't change anything or I'll kill you. So I don't know what she's putting in the box. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the title of the book, I want to bring the book book in because I want to read the subtitle again because uh, a cosmetic chemist reveals the glitz, the glam, and the Bat shit crazy. Uh, that's the part I think my uh, audience is really interested in. The bat shit crazy. Can you get, give me um, uh, some examples of what we might find in the book uh, that are uh, kind of bat shit crazy? Yeah, this industry is kind of it's really kind of nuts. It's, it, I mean, to get a product line to the market, it's really involved. And we and like any any kind of business, where you have multiple clients. You have some really eccentric, you know, crazy people sometimes. And, you know, from the celebrities to Again, just to a you know a, to a housewife, but you can have these, these personalities that are just you know nuts. And I and I and I talk o openly about it. And I even bust my own my own clients you know nuts over it. And I tell them you, know, you guys are being a little bit you know off the wall here, you know, and crazy. But I you know going through the the um, my development process you know over the years, you know, I've been you know had clients that wanted to like develop makeup brushes and wanted to have exactly like one thousand bristles in a brush, which are impossible to count. To having a matching a, a color to a compact like Land Rover Blue, which the color doesn't exist and owned by Jaguar. So we've had crazy things trying to get product lines to the market um, that are just really overly eccentric and just couldn't really drive you to drink trying to, <laughs> trying to get it done the proper way. Why do you think it is that so many people and, and in the creative arts um, have that eccentricity about them? I just, I'm, I guess I'm kind of in that category. I think you're just kind of wired that way, uh, you know, and or not. So it's really, it's kind of just being overly obsessive about it and really, you know, a laser focus on color, shape, design, and also, you know, trying to do something different. There's millions of beauty products that are on the market. So you have to really 
stay above a trend. And that's one of the things that we do. We're always doing new trends. I'm, I'm a trend forecast writer for the beauty industry. So I developed, you know, trends saying what's going to be coming up next. We work with our raw material suppliers that have new technology coming out with chemicals. So you have to keep evolving, 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 or just get left behind. Right. Um, is there, can, has it gone too far? You mentioned the beauty products and how many of them there are out there. Uh, have we reached a point where we, we're touching the ridiculous? I, I, I'm talking specifically about, and I don't, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to bash a product that's out there that you might not have any part in. But uh, the thing that that is in my mind right now is Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, vagina candle. Have we uh, have we reached a point of absurdity with, with the kind of products that are out there? Well, it depends where you put the candle. You're probably going to burn your vagina if you do it that way. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know what she's using for a candle holder, but that could be a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother issue. But, I, I mean, yes, like I said, there's millions of products, but the caveat to that is, again, technology keeps evolving and changing. So if you're a, a company like Oil of Belay, which is a, a or, you know, or a Pons or a you know, Vino, which has tremendously talented you know, chemists and a whole team of really educated people making these products, they have to keep evolving as well. So you have to go back and either revamp or revitalize the SKUs that have been on the market for, six, you know, sometimes 40, 50 years. You have to update them or the new items that are coming out. Again, we're always putting new technology in and all new technology is always coming to the forefront. And for example, I work with raw materials right now that we call instant gratifiers, meaning that when you put them on the skin, you can feel and see the results anywhere between 15 to 30 seconds. That's where our brains are at these days. There's no, nobody wants to wait six to eight weeks for clinical data to come back and say, oh, we're going to decrease, you know, fine lines, wrinkles, and feathering on your face, you know, in a matter of six weeks. Now they want it, they want to see it in 15 to 30 seconds, and we're able to do that. So in that sense, it, it is getting better and better, but it keeps adding more products to the, to the industry, of course, but you have to revamp the old ones as well. Right. Is aging the primary concern? Uh, because I think there are, and this has been a discussion forever, that some men can, and, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but uh, the, the uh, belief is that men can age a little more gracefully than ladies sometimes, uh, and particularly that wrinkles are don't can can add character to a man's face and and make a woman feel ugly um but is aging the ma my major uh concern for people as if, as they move past say 30 or you know the prime uh always trying to battle that you know every little wrinkle that comes up every little uh mark of aging yeah 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 of course aging is the main the main factor and if we can't benjamin button ourselves which would be great but we obviously can't we can't do it you know but but to your point too it, it is kind of it's unfair but it is true women kind of get the short end of the stick you know especially in hollywood you'll hear many of the the older actresses you know meryl streep you know etc you know and she's a lucky one because she's just a, the most brilliant actress that there is in the world in my opinion but they they they, they, they do find that window you know, in their very like mid forties, early fifties, where the, the parts just kind of stop, and then they got to cross over. You know, oh, now I look visually too old. They think, um, or the directors tell them that, or the producers tell them that. Where the men, you know, they're like, oh, again, like you said, Brad Pitt you know, gets better with age, and Tom Cruise gets better with age. But they're they are getting older, but it's just not it's not it's not as fair, you know, to the women. That's for sure, especially in Hollywood. Yeah, but it bothers me when I see a woman who I know is eighty. And she looks kind of plastic dollish. Um, I'd rather see, especially if they, they were, you know, beautiful in their heyday, uh, I'd rather see them with some natural 
you know, just me. I guess it's always subjective, but I'd rather see them with natural artifacts of aging rather than that plasticky doll look, especially on an 80 year old woman. You know, I know you, I know how old you are. You're not going to fool me that you're four years old or five years old with that perfect yeah. uh, sculpted skin. Um, is it, can it go too far with that stuff? And especially in, in when it gets beyond the 70 year mark and, and women sure. are starting to look like they're 20 or trying it, to look like it, 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 it certainly can go too far, but also they, people see what they see in the mirror. So that's kind of the other thing. Sometimes they, like even myself, like I'm, I'm my own bad advocate. I, I see something different than what other people are seeing. So it's really, I believe it's more psychological than anything else, but I've always said, my whole career. I'm, I'm personally not a big advocate of color cosmetics. I don't like covering up the skin. I like to treat it with skincare first and then use color cosmetics to actually enhance it. Uh, so I'd rather, you know, if you have, again, roatia, eczema, psoriasis, dermatitis, you know, acne, you want to treat the skin first and then use makeup to enhance it, not just kind of cover and cover and cover. Because to your point, it just looks worse. Um, but also depends what the person seeing in the mirror. And again, I'm a perfect example. I mean, I get I get compliments all the time. Oh, you look handsome, blah blah, and I, don't, and I don't necessarily don't see it. So it's kind right. of so. It depends. I think it's more psychological sometimes than anything else. Well, and that's the true of anybody in the creative arts. I think um, you can get a million compliments, but one bad, and especially if it's something you notice yourself, and it's it's a, a bad comment from you, a self comment. But one, you know, somebody makes an offhand comment that uh, about you that they think is being funny or something and you can just really take that to heart and beat yourself up over it and then go look in the mirror and say are they right and, and kind of uh, it's just part of the artistic uh, or creative mind's makeup to be really self-deprecating and, and just beat up on yourself and always look for the worst and so it's a it, it can be a curse can it that the idea of uh, perfectionism in, in beauty yeah, I mean, absolutely. Again, and and you and it goes for all of us. You can talk to even some of the most the best looking you know runway models, and they still seeing they're still seeing flaws. So I think it's really in our all in our own heads, and we're all just trying. And all the social media, I think, doesn't help that that became so popular. I mean, we're all seeing when you're looking at Instagram, you're looking at Twitter, or you're looking at uh, TikTok specifically right now. I mean, everything I see that's coming down my feed are just one person more handsome or more better better looking than the next. You're getting the you're getting the the creme de la creme and what's coming through, and, and it's you know, and you you look at yourself. Hey, I don't look like I don't look like that, you know. Right. So it's, yeah, so it's hard, especially with social media. Uh, yeah, I agree, and I think uh, sometimes they should be giving credit to the Photoshop artist. <laughs> <laughs> a gigantic dog behind me. There's Savannah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow, wow, he's pretty big. It, uh, is it he or she? It's a girl, two hundred pound uh, English Mastiff. Two hundred pounds. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if she liked me just saying her her uh, her weight on on a. On live <laughs> uh, she's not a, a lap dog, is she? Doesn't well, 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 she is. she actually is in theory, but but not in reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now back to the book for a second. Uh, I I I have not read the book, uh, but uh, I did watch the trailer, and uh, I, I'm hoping to read the book as soon as my pile starts to get a little bit lower over there. Um, I I know there are a, a certain amount of hardships and tragedy that you had to overcome uh, in order to to live your life and and continue on. I think it's an important message. So if you could share just uh, like some of the struggles you you've gone through. Uh, I think that would be a good thing for people to understand. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, I kind of just set myself up that way by accident. I, mean, I, I drove from um, New Jersey, where I grew up on the Jersey Shore, to, to California, you know, in 1995, not knowing what I was going to do or where I was going to go. I didn't know if I was going to stop 
in Denver or Chicago or, or Houston. I just, I just went all the way to California like, and I ran out of road. So either, I was like, it's either going to be California or Tokyo. I don't know what nothing else was next. So I just <laughs> got in the car and I drove. And again, I think it's more about grit. If you really know you want to do something, you have to just kind of do it. Um, but I had no money. I had no startup capital. I had nothing. So I just did everything. You know, Robin Peter to pay Paul off of credit cards, which of course added up very quickly. You know, in the late 90s, and I and I still paid for that debt. You know, I'm I'm 47 now. I I honestly paid that debt off in the late 90s, like only about about 11, 12 years ago. So I went through my whole life. I just, that was me trying to get my company opening and doing everything from scratch. So um, I would say have a better have a better plan. You know, have some money in your pocket. You know, and and not just kind of go out there and do it but i but but again if you're really passionate about it it's just like follow your passion and your grit and just go out and and get it done but i got knocked down way more times than i've got than i've had successes right uh interesting that's an interesting uh um um observation there now i i don't think anybody is um a, a success truly on their own. You must have had, uh, built a team of uh, people that support you and your business. And, and uh, so talk to me a little bit about, about the people who uh, are that people don't see who are, are part of the, the, the Vince Bonato success story. Yeah, actually there's, there's, there's tons of people literally. Cause, I, cause once again, you know, co- cosmetic chemistry is not really um, a major or degree that, that that's offered in the United States. You have to kind of, if you go to college for it, it doesn't really exist. You have to really be self-trained. So I went to school for chemistry, but I had to have, I had to have mentors when I got to California, which I did, you know, I had three or four, um, one, her name is Marie Ardita and Lee Paler. These are people that I, that I grew up with that are my, that are very successful cosmetic chemists that I, um, you know, that I, that I mentored with. And you, that's just starting with them. It's a, a very unique industry and now i have a whole team of you know publicists and graphic design and, and regulatory people and attorneys and so it's literally there's a there's a whole bench team um there's no way i could do any of it by myself um there's a whole team of people that always supported me and this, and this went on for 25 years by the way as i was going through all my hardships the people that are still in my involved in my life now were involved since the very late 90s and they stuck with me all the way through with no money no payments you know and this you know they're all there because they supported me so i've really been very lucky with that right as your company grows uh and 25 years is is uh a, quite a long time it's like a, a child growing up and now it's an adult um, <laughs> uh do you find yourself being pulled away from the stuff you enjoy the most into uh being more of an administrative ceo that wait wait a minute this isn't part of this isn't why i got into this business this isn't what i love about this i'm doing executive work when i really want to be in the trenches and doing the the development and all that stuff do you find that yeah i do i do there's a lot of juggling i i we've gone from taking um you know, about 10 to 12 clients every 18 months down to like about three to four every 18 months. So I really had to skew down the actual clients we take and be very selective because this is a very long process. Of, so we always want to make sure we can give each client their due, their due time and, you know, and make sure they get everything that they're you're paying for. And then, you know, with the book out and a document, I have a documentary coming out in the fall called uh, Skin Deep, uh, you know, Formulating a Legacy. And also I have my product line. So I'm doing, I mean, I'm juggling four or five things. So I had to kind of skew back the, um, you know the development a little bit for my turnkey beauty company but it's but but again we the clients we do have are very substantial in a in the sense that they're they're quality clients that we that we like to, that we have and we like to keep it you know keep it that way you mentioned the documentary it's called skin deep and where, where is that coming out is that going to be on streaming is it going to theaters what what's the, what's the plan for that 
Uh, actually, both. We, we don't know exactly where yet. We just started the film festival you know, right now um, in, in May here. And then most likely in the fall, it's going to live on Apple TV and Netflix, Hulu, et cetera. We don't know the exact platform yet, but we're working, doing all the film festivals first and then going to let it live on one of those platforms in the fall. But we are going to show it the theaters as well. So we're going to probably have a couple um, debuts, at least in Los Angeles and in New York. Uh, for the for the for the documentary, and then in addition to maybe play some local ones in smaller cities, but we're yeah. still not sure exactly yet. And the I guess you uh, you will probably see a huge um, turnout from the industry people. I I only spent uh, about nine years total in the hair and beauty industry, but one thing I learned is those people love their industry and they turn out for events and go to they fly around the country for uh, for beauty shows, hair shows, clothes shows everywhere, and it's just uh, incredible to see how how much they support the industry and come out for every single event. So I, uh, I assume you're going to do very well with it. Now uh, on the documentary again, I watched the trailer Mm -hmm. and uh, speaking of like natural beauty and people who grow old gracefully and really beautifully. uh, And I don't want to sound like too much of a fanboy here, but I am Emma, (laughs) Emma Sams is in the, in just talks for a, a, second or two in the in the trailer and i was taken by because i know that she's probably my age or close to it uh and she looks like a natural beauty she doesn't it looks you know yeah as beautiful as she did 35 years ago i'm not trying to embarrass her by age stuff but the thing is she doesn't look like she's um enhanced it with plastic surgery or anything she's just growing old gracefully and beautifully uh talk talk to me about some of the the people in Hollywood who just have that, or, or not even now in the arts and entertainment world, who just have that ability to just um, grow old gracefully yeah. and, and, and with great dignity and just maintain their beauty. Uh, is it posture? Is it attitude? Where does that come from in your mind? Well, to your point with Emma Sam, again, she, again, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. She's not only a lovely, lovely lady, but she's, I think, a genetic freak. She looks like she's aged in reverse. She, and I, and I, and I walked her my, you know, my whole childhood. So, I mean, again, she looks like the same person to me. I don't know, you know, personally what she's done or done, hadn't, the, I, I would guess that she's barely done anything and she looked absolutely breathtaking. You know, Jennifer Lopez is another example. I mean, she's 51 years old. I mean, she looks like, I mean, she looks like exactly the same she did in 1999 when I, when I worked with her, you know, so I, it just, so it's really taking care of yourself. And I mean, another example is Tina Turner. So I, what is Tina Turner in her low eighties and she's still doing content. I can't even do what Tina Turner does, you know? Right. So there's, I think it is a mindset and you have to just, you know, kind of embrace it. And again, another example, she looks lovely and she, I don't think she's had any or barely any work done. I just don't know personally what the people have done and haven't done, but I can just tell visually that they look like the same you know, person. We have other people that look like a whole nother, you know, a whole nother person. So you can kind of tell the difference, but I'm, you know, I'm all for natural beauty as well. I, I love again, and I'm the one saying I had I had 25 surgeries, but now but now I accepted that it wasn't that way my whole my whole life though. Right, and um, one thing that struck me, and I'm not sure how much it was for cameras or 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 if this is the natural you in your business, but it seemed to me that there's always a, a bit of styling going on and uh, and attention to. Uh, my look and my personal appearance, even when you're working and I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure if this is for the cameras in the documentary, but you seem to be styling it up. Even when you're doing regular work, you're not just, you're always conscious of your Im- image. Am I correct in that? 
Yeah, yeah, we, he ha you have to be. I mean, if we're going to be, a, you know, if you're a beauty company, you can't really put out there, you know, um, you know, non-beauty stuff, I guess I would say. But, you know, but in my my normal life, when the cameras are off, I go to my lab, I'm in jogging pants and a t-shirt, and I have to, you, being a cosmetic chemist, actually, it's a pretty dirty job, I mean, physically. Like, we, you're covered in, you know, chemicals and alcohol, and you get color, colors on you. So it's not actually a, it's not a very glamorous um, you know, thing behind the scenes. It's, it's like we're working in manufacturing plants, going up and down scaffolding, working with 3,000 gallon tanks. I mean, it's not, it's not really glamorous behind the scenes at all. It's only when you're working with the customer and a client and doing, you know, press that you, that you kind of uh, dress it up a little bit. Right. But uh, where I was going with that is I think the people who, who are very image conscious and they, they develop that psychology uh, of, um, and maybe sometimes not. Maybe it works in the other way. But I think a lot of people uh, who do who are very style conscious and always trying to look their best. They develop that psychology of self worth uh, that that is so important behind all this stuff. Now I, I know it can, just in my mind, just thinking about that question, I know it can work the other way. It can make people more insecure and think uh, my my beauty or my self worth is only tied to my image and that kind of stuff. But it seems to me that psychological element is enhanced by your consciousness of, I just can't roll out of bed in the morning. I got to make myself look good. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You, like I, I can't imagine a Kardashian going to the mailbox without their full makeup on. So it depends, I guess it depends what your, what your life is like too. Right. But you know, my mother was the same way. She, she wouldn't go even out to, to get something out of the car. unless she was completely, you know, made up. So I guess it depends who you I, I personally, again, I'm I'm down and dirty. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm always in sweatpants and t-shirts, and um, you have to hold a gun to my head to put a tie on. That's for sure. Has COVID changed any of that uh, for anybody? You think uh, because uh, I, you know, talking about people just going out in, in sweatpants, and I would never, you know, my wife used to encourage me to, you know, you just run into the store. Why you could go in sweatpants? I know I have to change. I can't go out. It, like it, it, sweatpants to me means you're giving up. You you basically just surrender right. to the world. Uh, but I see a lot more people go out now in pajamas, underwear. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think we need to, I think we need to come out of the post COVID for sure. And hopefully it's going to be the Roaring Twenties all over again, you know, hundred years later. And I, the, and, and it, where the the alignment is the same. I mean, you had a global pandemic in nineteen eighteen and nineteen nineteen, and people had had it. You know, with with the same thing, with quarantining, and then that's how the Roaring Twenties kind of started off with like everyone wanted to get out and start doing things and start buying and start dancing and trying to bootleg alcohol and do whatever they do whatever they can do um so i think i hopefully and i think we're going to see the same thing again um exactly 100 years later to like the months almost so we'll, we'll see what happens i hope that i hope it'll go that way well that's a good insight there and i i hope you're right of course we don't have prohibition now that's one factor that that went into <laughs> that but um I don't not sure if that made things worse or, or better. I'm, not, you know, but uh, historically. So, are, are you uh, uh, a a history buff when it comes in the in the beauty stuff? Do you trace the history of uh, and a big fan of the history of beauty I, product and and the beauty industry? I do. I'm actually, I'm actually a really big history buff. That's my by far my favorite subject, and not only beauty, but I'm a massive World War II history buff. So I, I studied that um, from beginning to end. So I can take anybody through. The war from the Japanese side, from the German side, from the Soviet Union side, from the American side, from the British side, like with, uh, with you know, through the whole entire four years. Uh, but so I'm just a big history buff in general. So I like all categories of history. Well, uh, so where do you, because it's evolved and, and 
And I'm specifically uh, focusing on beauty here. Now, beauty uh, and, and trends in beauty have evolved in such uh, dramatic ways now. And I I said this recently, and somebody just shot me down and said, you're, you're wrong, you just don't know what you're talking about. Um, up until, I'd say, early 90s, I never saw a lot of women getting tattoos. Now I'm seeing women covered in tattoos uh, and body piercings of, of I've grown. Where, where do you fall on that part of beauty and people modifying their bodies in, in those ways uh, that uh, seems counterintuitive to what, what I, I think of as beauty? But again, beauty is always subjective, right? Yeah. But where, where do you fall on that idea of body modification and tattooing and all that stuff? I'm, I'm personally not a tattoo fan. I, I personally don't have any. I don't really, I don't really like them. And you got to be really careful in what you're tattooing because I think a lot of people, when they do it, they're, a lot of times they're younger and your body obviously changes. I mean, you have, you know, one of the most popular tattoos for girls, they're like putting like the, 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 uh, the sunrise, you know, over like kind of the, the crack of their butt. And I, and I tell the girl to go, you know, in 20 years, that's going to be a sunset girl. You know, you have to be really careful. Be careful. That's going to go from sunrise to a sunset pretty quickly. Uh, so really careful with that. So I, and I have a, I have a buddy from high school that had a tattoo on his arm that was, uh, Chinese for your know, strengths and power or whatever and he talked about it his whole his whole life and then find out like 10 years later that it's actually said Kung Pao chicken so somebody had the tattoo place either didn't know what they were doing or they, or they, or they threw them over so I, so I have bad tattoo experiences with people so I, I'm not a big advocate oh my god <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that <laughs> wow we, and we, and he didn't believe us. So we actually went to Chinatown one evening in New York City, in New York City, and and tried to prove it. And the guy's like, "Uh, yep, that says Kung Pao Chicken." Right. Like, oh my god! And he's like, talking about it meant strengths and power and wisdom. Like, uh, nope, it means Kung Pao Chicken. So, are, are you primarily concerned with uh, just female beauty, or uh, do you do do products for men? And if if so, what kind of products are men mostly interested in? Oh yeah, we, we work with uh, with men all the time. It, it really, especially over the years, um, we've always had female market, of course, in the gay market. But the heterosexual male market is almost kind of doubled every couple of years. So it's really straight men are kind of the growing category, actually. So they're getting more involved in their their regimen, especially I mean, way way more than the last ten years. They keep you know get evolving, and and really in theory, uh, products are unisex. They don't really have to be one or the other. Of course, men have special categories. You know, we have shaving and we have, you know, you're scrubbing and peels and that kind of stuff. Or women has a feminine product, you know, whether it's to help PMS and menopause or sexual dysfunction or varicose veins or breast tenderness, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's, of course, there's different categories, but, but, but the regular skincare regimens can be unisex with no problem. They just, they cross over pretty easily. Where the, um, that, that's, that's interesting. And I, you know, I, I was a little bit interesting when, interested by the fact that you said heterosexual men are, are going, you don't make people fill out a survey whether they're straight, gay. <laughs> I mean, so I, I, how do you, you just knowing that by guessing. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we, we have, they're studied up and now the dad, they hopefully they tell the truth when they do, they fill out. I don't think they do, my friend. <laughs> Uh, I, I said to, I had a uh, transsexual comedian on the other day, uh, and I said to her, "I don't think I know. I don't know." I said, "I don't know any trans people in my life," and I said, "I had to stop myself and say I probably do. I just don't know." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe somebody you're related to, you might not even know. 
Yeah, but people are still very, you know, 21st century people are still right. very guarded about and, and, and for whatever reason feel they have to be. Uh, yeah. But uh, so I, that just was curious. So with, with, with all of this stuff, you have to have some kind of um, crystal ball towards the future and, and kind of looking for what's new. Uh, most of the new developments coming out, like the things that you said where uh, they're more about uh, care of the skin and, and, and stuff like that rather than new enhancements about, oh, we got a great new color line or something like that. Are they more towards uh, taking care and maintaining uh, your, your skin and, and natural attributes more so than in than the enhancing side or or coloring yeah. side yeah and again we, we right now with right now at the moment it's really more about speed nobody wants to wait for anything so i said as there, as our other chemical suppliers or raw material suppliers, and they could be from italy or france or korea or wherever when they when they bring up the new technology as chemists that's what we had to put out there so again it's really more about instant gratification and quick 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 nobody wants to wait to see the results uh, but once again, when you have conditions like rosacea or eczema, psoriasis, dermatitis, et cetera, you have to let the you have to let the product you work for a little bit. Um, but you, but again, the, everything does keep evolving, and everything is new comes back, old comes back again. You heard that in every in every every category, whether it's, it's fashion or hair or beauty, et cetera. But you know, on the on the on the scientific side of beauty, we do keep getting new technology all the time that, that do make these products better and better and better as we as we keep going through the. You know the development process how do you keep costs down so or or is are you just focusing on not keeping the cost down making it for uh the hollywood elite those people i, I i'm curious yeah, we, 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 we were we we were, be very a caution of cost which are, we we develop products for trader joe's and whole foods all the way up to you know chanel and the biggest celebrities in the world so it's all over the all over the map so, so if you're a you know, a retailer, or again, that's a, more of a mass market. We develop, you know, product label for Costco, for example. So we have to be very, very, you know, cost sensitive there for sure. And then, you, but you have more room and more margin as the, you know, as the depending on what the, the category of the product is going into. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think, it, for, from your personal uh, uh, standpoint, what is the most rewarding thing for you personally about being in this business? What What do you get out of it? What 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 you know, sparks your battery and gets you excited about going to work every day. I, I think it's really just the the entrepreneurship of me. And again, I think you have to be wired that way or not. So I personally, at this point, you put out about 300 brands over the last 25 years. So I think that's really just cool when I see a brand done very well and has made this amount of money for whoever, you know, and or and or of course it makes somebody feel better or look better or feel better about themselves. So that's really the payoff. Uh, it helps me be, also be able to contribute to my charities that I work with. So it really is just kind of the, just you seeing something that came out of my mind sitting on the store shelf is very gratifying for me. It's really, you know, it's really cool in my own mind. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, philanthropic, philanthropic things you do. <laughs> uh, I wanted to put that in the, um, the intro, but it's just too long. I mean, you do a lot. So if you don't mind, uh, and I know sometimes it can be embarrassing or humbling to talk about yourself as, as a giving person. But if you don't mind, if you could just let people know about some of the things you do to give back. Oh no, I have room to talk. I'm I'm I'm, pr I'm pretty narcissistic too. I'm assuming so. I I, 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 can, I can do I can do both for sure. But my my, my main ones. You saw my dog Savannah. I have her registered with the Wounded Warrior Project. That we I, we work with uh, specifically with the Marines. So I'm I'm about a uh, a half an hour drive from Camp Pendleton down here in Southern California. So we go every couple of weeks and, and meet with Marines that have uh, PTSD or just want to uh, 
hang out with Savannah. She's a she's purely a comfort dog. She doesn't do bomb sniffing or anything elaborate. She just she just goes for comfort. So I love working with animals and with that with that project. I also have the um, the uh, Wells for Life I work with, which is a a an organization in, out in Uganda that gives uh, clean water to all the African villages that don't have any. You have some women that literally work that walk in these villages two hours a day back and forth just for a bucket of water, you know, this this big. So it's a really big, um, you know, uh, category I work with, with that, you know, as well. In addition, um, I work with trichotillomania, and sorry about the long word, but trichotillomania is a hair pulling disorder. Um, we actually pull your hair out, which I've had my whole life, uh, which is part of my genetic dysmorphic, you know, <laughs> problems I've had. And that's another, so anyone that has it will know exactly what it is. I try and educate with that category as well to um, what I learned over the last 30, I, I mean, almost 30 years having that disorder and how to help people kind of overcome it and what they can do to, to work with that. So yeah, so it keeps me, it keeps me busy. Right. That's uh, interesting. And thank you for, for, for doing all, all that you do. Uh, the Ugandan water thing is uh, definitely concerning that, uh, you know, 21st century, there shouldn't be people who, who, who can't have clean water to drink on, right. on the planet. But um, the hair pulling out thing is kind of, I don't get. It. I mean, I understand the body issues that go with it, but it's got to be pretty painful. You're hurting yourself when you do that, aren't you? It's, I oh, mean, well, that's the problem for the people to have it like myself. It's not painful at all. It actually has a self gratifying. You know, so if, if it was painful, we wouldn't we wouldn't do it. So that's kind of the it's that's that's still that's still trying to be unpacked by psychiatrists and people that are way up higher pay grade and uh, education grade than we are. But there is a it's kind of like the best, the best way of always trying to explain it. It's kind of like the satisfaction, almost kind of like uh, popping a zit or extracting a blackhead or getting an ingrown. And people that have this order will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and, and, and it kind of follows along. Uh, you also have people that are cutters, right? That's right. Very, I, that's I, very, I, right. That's I, very self-mutilating, but they wouldn't do it if it actually was pain. They're actually feeling a sensation of a pleasure when they do it. So that's kind of the issue. If it, if it was painful, I don't think none of us would do these um, would, would do these things to ourselves. That is so uh, surprising to me because my wife knows she she could punch me in the face as hard as she wants. I wouldn't it wouldn't bother me. She pulled one mustache hair out, and I'm like a crybaby. It's right. like <laughs> well, you're definitely a person that doesn't have this order, which is which is good. <laughs> yeah, right. that's not the way you should feel. But uh, so, how do they treat that? How how do you treat something like that? If because if it feels good to do it. I mean, you know, humans definitely, uh, one thing I know about humans is we like to do what feels good, and it, it's really hard to move away from something like that. Is it a therapy thing? I mean, psychological therapy? What do you go through to, to stop? Do you put something yeah. on your hair to kind of make yeah, you stop? I mean, we really have tried everything, and to your point, it's like it's like any other addiction. I mean, people do drugs because they, they feel good when they do them, and so, so it's, it's really the same kind of thing. It's really cognitive, you know, therapy. There are some medicines out now that we, we do know that trichotillomania for sure is connected to a, um, a a loss of serotonin in the brain. So there's some there's some medicines that are out there that, that help raise your serotonin level. Um, I personally do things like I go once a month and have myself completely waxed all my hair from neck to nuts and all and everything below. And that just that gives me for me personally, it gives me a a um, you know a reprieve or just kind of a a sense of like, okay, I got it done. And at that point, there's nothing else to pull, right? So the, the, the act of the hair being there is now gone. So I don't, I don't do it. So just, so just kind of things I do for myself, that I've always kind of educated people to have it. That, that these things that work for me, um, this is not great for your skin because I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a cosmetic chemist, but you know, for people that have trichotillomania, uh, tanning beds, not the regular sun, but tanning beds 
having calculated UVB, which helps raise your serotonin level. So I still, even to this day, go to a 10 or 15 minute you know, shot in a tanning bed once every couple of weeks, again, to help with the serotonin level. Um, again, it's not good for your skin, so it has, it has a downside to it, obviously. You don't, I mean, but but for me, the hair pulling is more um, to try and fix and maintain than, than getting a little bit too tan or too much color, for example. Or, gotcha. or Yeah. Are there a lot, is this a very prevalent thing? Because I, to be honest, I don't think I've ever heard of, you know, and I, I, I'm not the most uh, knowledgeable person in the world in, to begin with, but I don't think I've ever heard of this disorder before. Is it is it a common thing? Is it, you know, very, big in numbers? Very, very common. It's actually really large. I think about 25, 30 million alone just in America. Uh, and it affects about 99% women. So I'm, I'm one of the unlucky 1% male that has it. Um, and then of that 1%, it's about half of that is normally gay men. Uh, so there's something about the female chromosome that crosses over um, that that ha- it kind of has its disorder. That's why a lot of women have it. Um, you know, but they, if you were to like potentially YouTube this thing or or look at it on Google, you'll find hundreds of pages of just women specifically that are just in dire straits and crying, and they can't go to prom, they can't do this, they feel horrible. So it's really a very um, bad and discouraging disorder, and again, makes you your makes your self-esteem just feel like it's in the gutter. So I wow. try and really hold the hands of many people I can to try and help them through that. Because, but it, if you were to search it, it's out there a lot. But if you but if you if you didn't know to look for it, you probably would never find it. To your point, right? And as a bald man, I mean, I hate to make a joke about it, but uh, I can't I can't help it. As a bald man, it seems like it, I've reminded of George Costanza saying that's like get, uh, getting in a wheelchair for fun. Um, <laughs> but I know a lot of ladies deal with the opposite. <clears throat> problem of hair thinning and and trying to do everything to cover it up. Uh, so it's 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 so you learn something new every day. And thank you for sharing that. Oh, cool. uh, yeah. So uh, you are uh, you, per, and I don't mean to dive too delve too personally into it. But do you uh, do you have do you have for me? You can go deep as you want with me. Okay. <laughs> do you have it under control now? You're not pulling your hair out now, are you? I do. I do have it under control. It's been. Um, I actually haven't done it for about five years, and then I did it only about a couple months ago, which, which, is a, which was new for me because I, I had it under control for a while. But I just had kind of like one episode. You fell off the wagon. Yeah. I have the patch here right now. This was my this is my spot that I did. It's kind of hard to see, but it's wow. kind of a negative spot there on my scalp, which I did about um, about two months ago. But for men, again, I just shaved my head, and I, and, and and again the the um, the act of wanting to do it is gone. But women can't really do that, you know. So it's kind of harder for them to deal with. Um, but I, you know, I have a lot going on now with, um, with my whole life. So it's, it's sometimes it's triggered by just anxiety or a lot going on or stress or whatever it is. So it's definitely, it's definitely stress related for everyone that has it for sure. Um, yeah. so that's, you always want to try and mitigate that if you can. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I think of so many of our, um, and you know, psychological problems are stress related. So, but what do I know? I'm not a psychologist, but, uh, your life is when the documentary comes out, it's probably going to change in ways you're going to become, uh, you know, I know I'm probably, I'm sure you're probably recognized there in a big way, but with the book out and the documentary, you're going to, your face and, and name will be more recognizable than ever. Uh, do you think, uh, that will, uh, affect you in a negative way? I think fame can, for me, uh, I've noticed doing this podcast, fame can be a really double-edged sword, and it can uh, it can affect people in positive and negative ways. Are you prepared for the changes that are about to come your way? 
Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, I, I haven't gotten her yet, but if it happens, I'll, I'll hopefully it'll it'll be okay. You know, but again, my my main uh, goal for all this is trying to help people. Like, I feel like if I don't be completely honest, if you when you have a chance to read the book, it's like it's. I mean, it's like no hold barred. I mean, everything is out there. I didn't hold back on anything. So again, I don't think there's any value to it if I don't 100 percent honest. I don't say what I'm feeling. You know. Um, about the hair pulling, I mean everything. I mean everything to the plastic surgery, the genetic dysmorphic disorder. I mean, if I'm not I mean, honest about it, it's not really going to help people. So whatever comes with it on my end, that's I mean, I think I'm prepared for that. Yeah, I'm just hoping you know and to deal with it. I, yeah. I, 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 I can't, I, I can't imagine. I don't think there's ever going to be paparazzi following me around, but I don't think I need to worry about that. Not yet, but I, I'm telling you, the uh, beauty industry is, uh, I mean, they, when your film comes out, I think people are going to be surprised by uh, just how many people uh, and how how much in demand. Uh, they just absorb any beauty content that what they can get their hands on. And the film looks like a, from the trailer, it looks like something that even I, as uh, being very far removed from that industry uh want to see and there's so many interesting people in it uh that i think it's going to do very well and i think that will change for not maybe not paparazzi following you around but i think your your face and your name uh once the film is out will be far more recognizable than it is today doing the mind dog tv podcast <laughs> right we'll, we'll go back and do a reprise after that happens for sure. uh, I, I would appreciate that you know when the film comes out if you want to come back and just plug it when and and you know uh talk about the film when it comes out now uh what what went into the making of it was that a long process for you or yes it was almost eight years so so really the the documentary it's kind of a deep dive in showing america how products are made from concept to launch and i i personally get that question probably two three times a week my whole career oh how do you get it how do you make it how do you do it and i can't even believe it hasn't been done before uh so it's really a deep dive in showing on how the products are made into my personal life you know, my childhood, why I wanted to do the product line, where I, where it came from. I, I knew as early as 10 years old, I wanted to be developing beauty products. So it, it really goes back my whole entire life. And I, and I, I, never, I never deviated for that. So that's kind of what the is about. And it's just, you know, it's really, it's really fun and entertaining. And, and it's a good, a good, it's a good learning tool too. If you want to, if you're interested in how beauty products are made. Uh, that you just blew my mind with that. How does a 10 year old kid decide uh, at some point in my life, I want to develop beauty product <laughs> I mean it's it's 100,000 percent the fault of the young and the restless believe it or not the soap uh, opera. oh you're I, big into soap operas <laughs> yeah I, I I well I watched that one with my grandmother growing up starting at 10 years old and the young and restless is about a cosmetic company that's what they did for a living they had a, a fictitious company called Jabot and that's literally where I got the idea from so as early as 10 11 years old I was making fictitious products in my sister's easy bake oven uh, and I never deviated from that so I had to give all the credit to the young and the restless Interesting. That's a super interesting little tidbit there in that, you know, I talk to people every day about this, where they got the initiative uh, to uh, and the dream that they followed. And some people never follow their dream uh, and some people get the initiative to follow it later in life. Uh, and I was always looking for the person who knew what they wanted to do at a very young age uh, and, and followed it from that. And what got me interested in that the only person i've ever really heard kind of state what you just said i knew what i wanted to do uh 10 years old with david letterman when he ta- he said he wanted to he knew he was, wanted to be a talk show host at seven or eight years old and i was like right. that's bizarre <laughs> some people can actually find their calling in life that yeah. early uh, yeah and when, and when i got the point to go to college and stuff too i mean everyone in my surroundings said you just you you, you know 
it's not like a real thing, you know. And I mean, I mean to my point, you know, Matt, I mean, how many times have you met a cosmetic chemist? Probably never, right? There's no, not- I've had three of them on this show. You're the third. <laughs> <laughs> really? No. Yes. Yes. Really? Yes. You. So I said, normally it's like they don't, they don't even know that we're even out there. So it's not, not a lot of us out there. So that's like, you know, so that was like my, I wanted to kind of be something unique and different. And it wasn't a lot, a lot of. Well, the two other uh, people that I had on the show were both Asian ladies uh-huh. and uh, very typical scientists. I mean, they came with uh, lab coats on and, uh, uh, and you know, you, you could see their, their uh, academia, like, pouring off them. They weren't normal people. <laughs> I, I mean. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm more of a front person. They probably are more, like, we, we, they're, they're probably more scientific. <laughs> oh, so you're you're just a facade of the company. You you right. just right. who's that guy? The guy uh, Dan Bilzinger or something that was sat there. Uh, I don't know, living off his father's trust fund and had a f- fictitious company, living the Playboy life or something. I just yeah, saw I, something. I, I, I I do all the work for sure, but I'm just not. I'm not. I'm not a dry personality though, and I, I don't. I don't mean dry in a, in a bad sense. I'm not very scientific. I mean, I'm more more uh, outgoing, I guess is the way to put it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's because you're from New Jersey, not from California. <laughs> So uh, you know we are running out of time here, but you've um, you've written a memoir, and you're still pretty a young a young man. I mean, the book came out, I guess, a couple of years ago, a year ago or so. You were forty five, forty six. Uh, that's a young t- place to write a memoir. Shouldn't it be memoir part one because you still have a lot of life left in you and a lot of story left yeah. to tell at some point, right? Yeah. Well, well the, uh, the book only came out a couple months ago, so the book's brand new, actually. So I, okay. I finished. Yeah, so we've been we've been editing the last couple of years, but the book came out on January 10th of this year. So it's only about four months been out. Uh, we have our audio book portion coming out like on May 18th. So that's coming out um, in a couple more weeks. Uh, but I, but to your point, it's kind of like the first the first 40 years. So if I make it to 80, I guess I'll do the second 40 years. But there's there's a, there was a lot to tell for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but but the book is pretty it's pretty new at the moment. The reason I thought it was uh, you might have it might have come out. Uh, sooner than that was because I think in the documentary you said I'm 45 now in the documentary trailer you said I'm 45 now it might have been the uh, the book trailer where you said I'm 45 yeah. now and yeah. uh, earlier in this program you said I'm 47 now so I thought, well, right. that's what threw me off I was like wow. right, yeah yeah we, well we were in editing for two years that's probably what that's probably that's probably the math right there <laughs> people don't understand how much goes into doing something like that that yeah. and and how much post work which is why I asked you do you find yourself being uh, dragged into work that is not fun uh, and not not the most yeah. rewarding and not why you got into it so you yeah. you put a book and movie together not realizing that after you were done there's still a ton of work to be <laughs> oh, yeah, a ton. yeah a ton of work yeah. and a ton of money uh, and so when is the film coming out uh june uh, some, sometime no in the fall like around october we don't we don't quite know when yet but okay. but sometime maybe fall october november ish somewhere in there and the book and I'm uh killing me here I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'll let you go. Uh, the, your website is vincepinato.com. It's very simple. For the people on the audio side, I'm going to spell it V-I-N-C-E-S-P-I-N-N-A-T-O.com. The link is in the description. There you will see, you'll be able to find out everything you need to know about Vince. Uh, you'll be able to see the, the book trailer and the documentary trailer. Uh, Vince, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and uh, learn a little bit about the life you live in and what you do. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more, and I do wish you great success moving forward. I'm sure the film is going to be a huge success. I wish you great success with the book, and I hope you come back to plug the film when it's out. 
Athlete, man, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I, Thanks, I appreciate bro. you being here. I need to take the book off before I say goodbye. <laughs> this is a little awkward. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, there we go. Uh, well, thank, thank you for coming. Have a great day, and uh, please stay in touch. You too. Thanks again. Bye now. Vince Spinato, folks. Uh, the book is called My Pursuit of Beauty. It's got a uh, long tagline that I'm not going to read to you right now, but the most compelling part of the tagline to me is uh, the batshit crazy part. Um, interesting book. I look forward to reading it when my pile of books that I have there now is, looks like about 25, 27 books I have to get to. Uh, when, when that pile starts to get a little shorter, I'm going to be picking up the book, and I hope you do too. I hope uh, you learned something today about the beauty industry and uh, about Vince, uh, particularly in, in the kind of life he lives and the fact that he gives back is a great example. I think everybody should be doing that and, uh, uh proud to know him, proud to, uh, be a friend of him and now call him a friend and hope he comes back. I hope you enjoyed the program and that's the show for today. Now tonight, who do we have tonight, Johnny? Why is my memory not serving me? Um, tonight we have Udo Erasmus who's going to talk to us about, uh, total sexy health. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, Udu Erasmus, uh, author, a uh, uh, health and fitness guy. Um, and it should be an interesting program. Uh, hopefully, I got his name right. Uh, so that's at 8 p.m. tonight, Eastern. Hope you join me then. Till then, I'm Matt Napple from the Mindo TV podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Bye for now.
to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 